Hey everyone, welcome to season two of Musicians for Mental Health. This is episode number one. On this podcast, we speak with musicians about mental health openly and honestly without the veil of lyrics. We are not mental health professionals, we are not licensed therapists or counselors. We are people that have had our own personal experiences with mental health and want to shed light on these things. This week on the episode, I have Matt Wagner, who is better known as Minerva. Um, If you want to know more about Minerva, jump over to the You Make the Scene podcast. I did have an episode with him um, about a year ago uh, and, you know, had a great time talking with him um, and, you know, really got to explore uh, the, the musical side of him. And on this particular episode, uh, we're talking about mental health, you know, as the, the podcast name implies. Uh, but we talk about a, a wide variety of things on this episode, and I really want to thank Matt for taking the time to do this and being open and honest. Uh, but a couple things that we do talk about uh, are the loss of a close friend, the dangers of self-diagnosis in the mental health arena, and finding a emotional uh, response balance. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we talk about. Those are just some of the key ones. Um, and again, I want to thank Matt for taking the time to do this and uh, to be vulnerable. And I hope you guys enjoy it. So let's just go ahead and dive straight in to my conversation with Minerva. Um, so yeah, let's let's do the kind of standard intro, man. Um, we've talked before, but in case anybody is not familiar with who you are, who are you? Kind of a little background on yourself and why are we in conversation today? Uh, what up, guys? Uh, my name is Matt. Uh, I, am, I am the solo artist Minerva. And yeah, we're here to talk about uh, my next single, uh, Josh, that comes out April 8th. And yeah, it's uh, the start of a new era for Minerva, which is really exciting. Uh, about to say I'm about to dye my hair blue in like a week and uh, get started with a lot of new fun stuff. So, Awesome. Um, so for anyone listening to this that hasn't checked it out, we talked, man, I don't even remember. I should have looked at that a few months ago. Yeah, probably um, like six months probably ago. All, yeah, yeah, probably like six, six seven months ago. Um, you know, about all kinds of stuff and your love for 21 Pilots and just kind of the influence that they've had and how they inadvertently kind of shaped part of your career. Um, And now to see the metamorphosis, like you said, into this new era where not that you're straying away from necessarily what you've done in the past, but it's definitely an evolution of what you're doing, right? It's been a very fun, natural progression because like when I started Minerva in, uh, I released my first single in February of 2020, it was very much like, cool, I am a hip hop artist who like, has rock influence. And just with each like release and project I've done, it's like, cool. Now I'm like a rock artist who like likes hip hop. And it's really talked too much. My last record that we talked about uh, last time we, we, uh, we talked was the fun transition record. Like I, I was already writing all these new songs off Invincible is what the next record's called. And I knew like, cool, this is like the best stuff I've ever done. This is where I want to end up. But like, I still hadn't even put out talk too much. So I was like, cool, like this is going to be a really good connecting point to get from my 
initial hip hop stuff like Geek and Grown Up and all these songs into singing more and then, you know, showing my, letting my 2000s music freak fly, if you will. Yeah. And bringing that in. I mean, yeah. And and I'm going to be 37 in just a little over a week now. um, Happy birthday. So yeah, right, right before the uh, new single drops. Um, But I think the, the thing is like for me, there's that nostalgia factor to, to that, you know, 2000s rock, but also like, if you look at the evolution of music, especially over the last 20 years, um, it's been gradually coming back anyway in its own fashion. Like it's not necessarily a, it for you definitely is not a money grab, but like it's not these artists that are like, oh, we're just gonna hit the nostalgia button and everybody's gonna wanna pay us. It's, that's where music is naturally progressing back to. So I wrote this paper in 2015 uh, for my senior thesis. And it was uh, it was about the history of grunge music and its implications on modern rock and roll. But um, the the thesis of the paper in the end was, and this is why rock is going to be popular again in 2020. And the whole paper like goes through the entire history of music and how music cycles every 30 years. And so when I was writing this paper, I was like, okay, this is probably just wishful thinking. I doubt rock is going to come back in 2020. And then it did, and I felt so validated. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I really do think that. I I think that's. Oh, what I was saying was. uh, I think you're about to say what I was about to say. Probably. It's just the, uh, you look at music and culture and culture cycles. It's all about overcorrections and like, you know, okay, cool. We did this and now we're so sick of this. So like I look at uh, pop music, for example, and now like pop became so produced and perfect that like hyper pop is now huge with like, you know, literally purposely sounding shitty in order to like, you know, be cool. And I'm like, I think that coupled with the pandemic and all the angst people felt there, it was like, this is the perfect time for rock to start happening again. And whether or not you like the figures doing it, like the Travis Barker school with Machine Gun Kelly and like, you know, Mod Sun, Kenny Hoopla, bringing back pop punk. It's like, I'm just glad that people are doing it. Cause it's like this introducing a whole new generation of people who are going to do it as well, if not better, and put their own spin on it too. And like, that's just really exciting to me as a creative. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the the pop punk coming back, especially with, I call it the Travis Barker farm, because <laughs> it seems like he's got like just this herd of people that are using him for beats and stuff. Oh, bro, he's just been working. Always. Yeah. But yeah. And I mean, he's an incredible, like, he's a legend. Like, there's, especially in the punk scene, there's, no better drummer I can think of um, that's been as influential anyway. Uh, But I think too, like on the hip hop side and a little bit, you know, they do some EDM stuff with it too, but like the emergence of lo-fi beats now is kind of that reset in the hip hop scene as well. Like, Hey, we've done all that super produced stuff. Now let's take it way back. And like, let's do this lo-fi thing where it's, intentionally sounding like you recorded this off of a radio that's playing and you know or an old vinyl record and you're recording it onto tape and trying to make a conversion um i think it's setting everyone up for this resurgence of hey we've kind of leveled that playing field we've kind of erased you know what was there let's go play in the sandbox um my roommate's a music producer and i'm always amazed because he'll uh you have like your grid on Pro Tools, for example, but he like purposely won't use a grid and he'll just eyeball everything like for feel. And I'm always like, oh my God, you're literally like putting triplets like by hand 
And like they sound awesome because like they're not perfect. Right. And I'm always just amazed by that. But it doesn't sound like the John Bellion, like to, 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 to. It doesn't sound like that though. It just sounds like ever so slightly wrong and it just feels good. And I'm like, that's, I feel like everyone has just gotten so tired of like, you know, that snapping the grid, like everything's perfect mentality. And I know, I know on my end, like being a drummer, like every time I play a gig or I play anything, I always know every time I'm like a millisecond too early or a millisecond too late. And it's cause I'm so used to hearing music that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a, yeah, I, I just had a, uh, conversation with a, a band from Canada named Trench and we talked about drummers not getting the the love and appreciation that they should because like the amount of talent that it takes to keep time listen to everybody else to make sure that they're on time like it's insane what a good drummer can do versus someone that's like eh, I, I know how to beat the drums like that's not being a drummer. You know, especially with current events with uh, Taylor Hawkins passing away, uh, rest in peace. He was definitely one of my favorites. Uh, he uh, he always tells a story about Dave Grohl going in the studio to do like the color and shape. And uh, I think the original drummer's name was uh, William Goldstein, if I remember correctly. Uh, don't quote me on that. It could that be sounds different. right. That sounds right. Don't. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have people cancel me later on the podcast if I'm wrong. But um, essentially, sure. <laughs> the, the fact that like you know he went in never having really recorded before and like you know just wasn't cutting it. So Dave said, "Fuck your drum parts. I'm doing it myself." Like to have that consistency and that like you know ability to have everything you do hyper scrutinized because like you can fix so much with drums nowadays, so much more than you used to. But like you still can't fix feet. You can't fix like you know, or if you do fix it, it sounds robotic and metallic and not in a good way and it's like you know yeah. i doing studio work is still like my favorite stuff I, I absolutely love all the artists i play for to this day yeah and i think you know it's we were talking about like you could be a really really good tech right but if you can't the emotion then it doesn't mean anything no not at all and that's one thing Taylor Hawkins did so well. I mean, every time he got um, that hit, man, it would just be joy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's honestly part of the reason that, that Travis, going back to him, is so wildly popular and, and awesome at what he does is because, like, he puts everything out there every single time. And it's not a – he never phones it in, right? Like, he doesn't play a show that he's just like, eh, I'm here tonight. It's fine. It's fuck yes, I get to go play drums tonight. Like, what? what is my life? And also just his creativity. Like, I'll, especially with what he had to work with with the Blink-182 records back in the day. Like, you know, it's not like T Tom and Mark were like the greatest instrumentalists in the world. So he'd be like pulling these like ridiculous right. <laughs> creative drum parts out of nowhere. And it was just like, like Adam's song, for example. Like, if you break that one down, it's like, that could have been like the most simple like punk beats, like, you know, 70 BPM, like, yep all time but he's over here like you know and i'm like why did you think of that that's so cool <laughs> because he's insane in the best sort of way like i i really think his his head is his brain works in such a different way than this the average person as far as like okay i've got like you said, I'm, I'm working in 70 beats a minute or I'm working in 100 beats a minute. 
but what can I, how many things can I hit in that amount of time and like make it chain together correctly? Yeah. I look at uh, tickets for my downfall in particular, like uh, I can't say I'm the biggest fan of mainstream sellout, like the new record that they just put out, but like uh, the arrangements for drums and everything else on those songs, like whether or not you like Machine Gun Kelly or not, I'm like, damn, they really like were on to something on that record. And I like, I still, it's one of my favorite, it was my favorite record of 2020 and I still go back to that one all the time. And actually for, uh, for my next record, Invincible, I have a lot more pop punk influence on it. Um, I got this one song called uh, Amends that's, I mean, straight up, it's, I'm not even rapping on it. It's like, it's just a Travis Barker school, like, you know, pop punk song. And I, <laughs> but like with Minerva spin on it, like with the hip hop side of things and it, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the new, the new single, Josh. Um, it's got a huge meaning, you know, you're, you're very vocal about it as well, but let's talk, you know, initially about the, the song itself, as far as kind of structure and, and sound, and then we'll get into why and what the message is. Yeah. So with this one, uh, I think, me and my producer, Andrew, uh, Andrew Gomez, he, we did this one, I want to say in January of 2021. So this was like, this song was a very long time ago at this point when we made it, but, uh, I was still kind of in my transition from rap artist to rock artist. But, uh, this song I think is probably the most Minerva Minerva song I've ever done. And let me explain what I mean by that. When I first created the idea of Minerva, the idea was to take shoegaze music like Deftones and Radiohead and like, you know, Bullet From My Valentine and put it with hip hop. Cause I'd never really heard that before. And I was like, I've heard like glimpses of it, like uh, uh, over my dead body by Drake, for example, like has that elements, but they didn't like really go into it. And I was like, yeah. Ooh, you're like hinting it. You're almost there. I just, I want to hear more shoegaze. And so this song, like it's just a bunch of keys with a really large bandwidth guitar that like, just is really like, you feel like you're floating on. And I remember when Andrew and I landed on that, we were like, damn, like this is exactly what I've always wanted Minerva to sound like. And on top of that, I'm talking about one of my best friends who passed away a few years ago and paying tribute to him and trying to really say something that matters. I'm like, damn, I think with Josh, I've accomplished every goal I ever wanted to do as a hip hop artist. Which is a huge testament. You know, it's a a self-realization testament, but still like whether it gets commercial success or not, it's one of those things that you can you can look at, be proud of, and say, you know, I I honored my friend. I did it the way that I know that is the best for what I needed to do. Um, and I'm not saying it won't have commercial success because I think it it definitely will. Um, like I said, I listened to it like 17 times today. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think there's there's a huge potential in it, and especially for you know, what we're about to get into with anyone that's lost someone close to them, especially the, you know, uh, middle school, elementary school, you know, friend that you've grown up with and been so close with and the relationship that you talk about in that song with him, you know, having fights, but always still coming back to each other and just that sort of stuff where it's like, it's a real friendship. It's not that surface level bullshit of, Oh, that's my, my buddy, you know, like, no, that's, that's my friend. Like we've cried together. We fought like there's so much more to it. 
You know, I say this with love. He was probably the most frustrating human I've ever met in my life. And I loved every minute of it, <laughs> like straight up. Yeah. Uh, so the story, the story behind the song is um, I, I had a friend, uh, he uh, passed away due to depression a few, uh, few years ago, um, back in uh, December of 2019. And uh, we, we were in a band together. Uh, my first band ever, we were called uh, WDV at the time. And eventually we, we became Throwback. And then we finally settled on Remedy, which was the, the name that we stuck with until I got to college. And uh, yeah, Josh was uh, the guitar player in the band for the first iteration. So he was with us for about two years, I want to say. But then um, even once the band broke up, like we stayed really close. And he uh, he went to the same high school as me. He was a year below me. And uh, yeah, like his brother kind of became like my pride and joy. And like he's a drummer as well. And so I kind of like mentored him like in the theater program. He was a freshman when I was a senior. And to this day, like we're super close to the family. And I mean, like showing them this song was honestly one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life because I was like, this is... I, I just really hope I'm doing your son justice because this is the best I know how. And I, I, there's not a day where I don't think about him all the time. Like he truly is. And he was my brother and both him and the bass player. I still am. Like, I'm still super close to the bass player. And Josh really had a huge impact on my musical development. Cause like I, I only started writing songs because he t said the drummer isn't allowed to have an opinion on songs. Cause he was like the first one to get into writing. And I was like, uh, fuck you. What are you saying? And, uh, <laughs> but that friendly competition is like what made us good at what we did. And I, I think, I mean, I felt so bad for the bass player. Like literally Josh and I would just constantly be fighting. It's like, uh, yo, Josh, play, play louder, Matt, shut up, like play quieter. Like that was all of our band practices always. But like, yeah. and like, it would just turn into like us wrestling. And he was like this super lanky, like tall kid. And I was this super small stocky kid so it just it was always a disaster but but that was the thing like i i'm an only child but i know what it feels like to have a brother because of these two kids and the fact right. that only one of them is still around is still crazy to me and i'm really lucky because uh josh um ended up going to columbia university and i moved up to new york uh for about a year of my life in 2019 and so i'm um, I didn't know that was my last year with him, but I really got to see him a lot in that year. Like some of my best memories from that year of my life were at his apartment, like on the Lower East Side. And it's, I mean, the last time I saw him was uh, he literally saw Blurry Face the Musical, my 21 pilot show. And I, I just remember last thing yeah. he did was like, gave me a hug and said, dude, like, I can't believe you did this. Like you've been talking about this for five years. And I've, I mean, he watched the whole journey and it was like, I mean, I really wish that wasn't the last time I saw him. Like I, I, that's the problem with these situations. You never get to say bye. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah, he, uh, he inadvertently started me on this path for better and for worse. Is how I say it. Yeah. So, um, I don't think we've talked about it before, but I lost my brother in 2018, um, yeah. Yeah. to suicide as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, that, that connection there, you and I have kind of similar paths as far as like dealing with, with that, um, you know, and it, same thing, you know, I, I never got a real goodbye. Like the last time that we talked, it was just a, Hey man, see you later type of thing, you know? And, yeah. and looking back, it's like, not that I definitely don't recommend this for anyone, but it's an inevitable thing. And you'll probably agree with me looking back. You're like, man, there were definitely warning signs. Like yeah. I, 
this conversation didn't quite go the way it should have or whatever. And it's like, but in that moment, you just don't know. And like you said, you, you don't know when the last time you have with anyone is. And it makes it incredibly difficult to move forward. Um, and that's, you know, what you and I talked about pre-introduction yeah. is kind of surviving someone's suicide. And, you know, we, we all talk about the hurt that, that comes of a suicide. But so I've always said I don't condone what my brother did yeah, at all. Because I don't believe suicide's the answer, um, but I understand it. And you say in the song, yeah. you know, you understand. Looking back, like I understand why this thing happened, but I don't agree with it. You know, like yeah. it's unfortunately everyone says, "Oh, if you know they committed suicide, they took the easy way out, or you know, whatever." And it's like it's not that though, like they truly think in that moment that this fixes everything. I don't have to be a problem anymore. The way I've always heard it described to me, uh, cause I, I definitely growing up through theater programs, uh, not my Josh was not my first, uh, loss, unfortunately through, uh, from suicide. I remember when I was uh, about 17, uh, I had a, he wasn't a close friend of mine, but he was a close friend of like everyone else I knew. Um, right. he, uh, uh, passed away and, uh, watching everybody else suffer through that that actually is what my 21 pilots musical was about so way back in the day it was about my experience yeah. with uh particularly my ex-girlfriend at the time uh more girlfriend at the time now ex-girlfriend uh seeing her go through that and not be able to cope with surviving someone else's suicide and um yeah. but yeah but yeah the way it's always been described to me is like it's not they took the easy way out it's just they looked at two different pains and the pain of being alive was worse than the pain of suicide and yeah i mean yeah it's truly it's like it, it it's a depression's a disease i mean it's like you know and we do everything we can to combat it and i know i know in josh's case like my god i think that boy i can't say he'd ever tried you know what i mean like he was in and out of like every every different type of therapy tried every different type of drug like i mean it was truly I, I never look at it like, you know, wow, that was like, you know, he first sign of trouble, like, you know, he's weak. No, no, no. That boy, that boy was really strong. And I, I, I wish I could have told him that more, but he was, we very much had a very competitive relationship. We always did from day one. So like, we never talked about his mental health issues. I, I knew about them through his parents and his brother, but like he, I felt like he always had to keep this like, oh yeah, I'm killing it facade around me. And like that never it's, it's funny when you're, when you meet from kids, cause that never really broke down. You know what I mean? And like, I, I, I was always honest with him, of course, obviously, but like we always, we were, we were always trying to one up each other. That was very much our relationship. Yeah. And you know, you've got that, that line in the song and I'm going to forget verbatim so you can correct me, but <laughs> you say that, you know, every time you asked him, he said he was fine and yeah. he, he was basically telling you lies at that moment. And, you know, I think, I think the thing is, you know, seeing it from my brother and, and that perspective, like a lot of people, and I'm guilty of it as well, you know, with my depression battles and, and things over the years, a lot of people that suffer from, from mental, one thing I've been trying to do is, uh, a girl that I interviewed for this show mm -hmm. stopped referring to it as mental illness and she started calling it mental injury because... Like that. If someone's injured, you're more willing to help versus an illness is 
oh, you're okay. Well, go take some drugs or whatever. Like, yeah. So from, from mental injury, um, you know, seeing, seeing that, I think the thing is that they don't want to feel like a burden. Yeah. Even though we know like, Hey, you're not a fucking burden. Come talk to me. Like we will get through this. I think in their mind, in their perspective, it's, this is my pain and I can't put it off on anybody else. Yeah. No. And he, he was very to himself in that way. And I mean, he definitely, uh, <laughs> I remember in high school him getting into Columbia, for example. And then I, I think he literally was like, fuck you to everybody he knew because he got into a good school. <laughs> and he's like, I don't ever have to see any of you bitches again. And I, I, I just remember looking at that like, Josh, what are you doing, man? <laughs> but like, but that, that's just how he was. And he was very much like, you know, I, I, I have to win. You know what I mean? And, and he, uh, yeah, I definitely always had, I, I always had massive respect for him. Cause like, you know, we all, he was the type of person who just kept getting back up every time. Like, I beat him in a wrestling match, for example. He, next band practice, like, yeah, Matt, you want to go again? I'm like, you're crazy. You're actually crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> but like, I, again, he was he was my little brother, man. I got it. I miss that kid. <laughs> he was the best. But I, I think, you know, I, I'm glad to see you remembering the good times like that. You know, being able to laugh about things and, and have those memories. Because I think too often, especially people that survive a, a close loved one's suicide, it's about the dark times that they, when they start thinking back and remembering them, it's like, I remember, you know, when, when they did their first attempt, or I remember when this happened and it, it destroyed them. And it's like, okay, but tell me a happy thing. You know what I mean? Like, let's remember the good times and celebrate their life versus mourning their death entirely. You know, I was really lucky, uh, with my relationship with him. Cause truly like my, my dad and I talked about him all the time. Like he was like a son of my dad and like, Oh God, my, I mean, like I, I took it hard of course, but I mean like watching my parents go through that. I mean, that was right. I mean, to this day, my dad still after a few drinks will be like, that was my kid, man. Like what, what happened? And I mean, it break, it literally breaks my heart every time, but um, yeah. Josh is probably the funniest person I've ever met. Like, he had this just great. He was too smart for his own good. He had, he had this crazy, like, you know, uh, manic like you know he would find a way to like you know make weird, weird connections where i'm like oh, that makes perfect sense but why did you think of that <laughs> and, and just all this other stuff and so like there were so many good times to remember and like whether he was making fun of like himself or like you know making fun of a situation or like you know just being an overall pain in my ass like he was the best when it came to that and and, and yeah so like no, I, I could always talk about like, you know, the times when like, you know, I remember seeing him in the hallway and like he had like that glazed over drugged up look where like, you know, he uh, clearly his meds were not right. Or like, you know, uh, I, I could talk about the the moment like where he dropped out of school, for example, like and just was talking to me with like having no direction, like saying I'm going to like go live on a beach like in California and being like, oh, my God, what's this kid going to do? Like, but there's so many less of those moments compared to the good times I had with him. And like, you know, the 10 years I knew him and it, and it's yeah. like, I'm really thankful of that. Cause a lot of people I know who have, who know people who, uh, they lost to suicide. A lot of the relationship was like handling their mental injury. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And I, I mean, I was really lucky with Josh where that wasn't the case. Yeah. And I, I think part of it goes to, you know, I, I told you that I just lost my, my boss this last week. Yeah. It wasn't suicide. It was a heart attack freak, you know, dude was 58 years old, still way too young to, to be gone. But I think, you know, it's that when we, when we remember people and tell their story to others, we should be honoring their legacy and honoring them as a person. And yeah. so like, what good does it do to talk about all the negative stuff for, that you remember about somebody? Cause like, unless you're trying, you know, to, to use that as an example, if somebody's going through something similar, like obviously there's cases to, to bring that stuff up. But like, if, if somebody, you know, you and I, if we're just talking about the song, Josh, like, tell me about Josh. Like, why did you write this song? Like it should be the happy memories. And that's, for anyone that has lost someone, it should be the happy memories. And, and you know, one thing that I really am proud of of this song, I remember writing this one really well. Like it was a, it was a Saturday night. I was supposed to go into work and then, um, uh, my shift got canceled for some really strange reason. And it was like a rainy day. And uh, I mean, this is cliche as it can sound, but like, I, I, yeah, just, I had never talked about like, you know, Josh, uh, like I'd cried at the funeral, but like, cause I don't know if you've ever been to a, Jewish funeral before, but like you literally like take a shovel and like you, you take turns burying the body. And I mean, oh my God, you want to talk like emotional yeah. torture. I mean, that was the most cathartic thing I've ever seen in my life. But like after that, I felt, I always felt really detached because it was like, this definitely happened, but like it, it didn't feel that real. And I, I, I never really came to terms with it. And, um, yeah, so just this day, it had been like a year since he died at that point. And uh, I, yeah, I just said, this one goes out to Josh. And I, I, when I when I hit that line, like, this one goes out to Josh, all the people that we lost, I was like, oh, my God, this song is so much bigger than, than this story now. Because really, it's not a song about Josh. It's a song about anybody who's lost somebody. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm actually tearing up a little bit just talking about that actually but um it, it, it's like you're fine yeah a anybody can be josh in this context which i really think is yeah beautiful because like part of being human is losing people and gaining people and loving people and finding finding who you are and it's like you know you, you find that through people and like you know when yeah josh really didn't have a lot of friends in the final analysis because he burned a lot of bridges there and it's i i, I always I really wanted to write this song too, to be like, you know, this kid mattered so much to like, you know, me and Nick, my other bandmate back in the day and a lot of these other people. And it's like, you know, just cause he didn't have the numbers to show for it necessarily. That didn't matter. I mean, my God, like the lessons this kid taught me will always, I will carry for the rest of my life until the day when I see him again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that kind of ties into, I, I feel like you and I talked about it on, the last episode um, on the other show, but like there's a big, big difference between quantity and quality. Yeah. He may not have had a lot of people, but he had quality people that yes. were attached to him, you know? And like, I think we used it as an Instagram thing at the time. Like, cool, you have a million followers. Whee! How many of them actually engage with you? 10? Okay, exactly. those are the 10 people that matter. Yeah. And, and yeah, no, when it came to Josh, like he... I I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I, you're getting ready to say exactly what I was getting ready to say. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, no, when it came to Josh, too, like, I mean, he... I always felt terrible for him because he always... He cared a lot about that, like, quantitative, like, status thing because he was a very logical, like, math guy, you know what I mean? And, like, it, it I knew yeah. that drove him crazy a little bit, and that was really hard to watch because it's like, dude, like... Uh, my, my therapist talks about this all the time, like, whenever I get into, like, my... Well, this person ghosted me or this happened, she's like dude, you got all the people you need, you have for years. As soon as you start to see that, you're going to have so much more joy. Because it's like, you know, no, it's not about like how many people are going to be there for you. It's the people who are going to be there for you. What are they, how much do they love and care about you and what are they willing to do? Yeah, and you know, I don't remember the exact like proverb or idiom, whatever it is, but it's that whole like, don't get lost. Don't lose the forest looking at the trees type yeah. of thing. Like, yeah, there's a sea of people out there, but which ones are the important ones? You know, there's yeah. that handful that you can pick up the phone anytime and call or that, you know, hey, my car broke down. Can you come give me a ride? Whatever. It doesn't matter if you have a million fucking followers on on yeah. Facebook or Instagram. Like, I mean, you could probably get picked up by them, but bad stuff will likely happen if you do uh, <laughs> that's the question right right but i think you know our our kind of point here is you know it, it is so easy especially in today's world where it's easy to see those numbers right like yeah. think back when when you and i were in high school myspace was a thing mm -hmm. you know so like that okay but like it, it was so much different back then because you didn't necessarily have a, oh, well, I've got a million followers, so I'm I'm somebody. Like it was about connecting with the people that mattered back then. Yeah. Um, but now you can just see that difference where, and especially if you're a competitive person like you and Josh sound like you know that that competitiveness and you get that imposter syndrome too where you're looking at it and you're like, well, but I feel like I'm I should be better than this person. I should have more more likes because I do more stuff and it's like okay but again how many of those people that they have interact with them care about them you and I talked about sharing stories with some of your followers like you've heard stories and things like that where you've made real life connections with people that's what matters it doesn't matter that they liked your photo it matters that they like your life <laughs> Yeah, you know, man, I just uh, went on my first tour actually uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, uh, we, we went uh, fr from Nashville, Chicago to Rochester, New York, and back. And uh, really, I was just a, because my music is very mental health focused, like I'd get off stage, and every once in a while, people would come up to me and then just start telling me their life story. And I mean, oh my God, the amount of attempt stories I heard and other things like that. I mean, it's like I, I literally have met this person for like 10 minutes at this point. I'm like, it's crazy that this is like just such a normal thing now. And like, I mean, I, I've, I've had my moments as well, of course, but like, it's, I'm really glad that people are able to be open about it, but just really being on the tour really opened my eyes to just like, Oh my God, this is how normal this is. This shouldn't be normal. Right. Right. For sure. And it's like, I mean, obviously you're traveling when you're on tour. So of course you're going to have some number of people but like the fact that if you really took a poll, if you were up on stage and legitimately took a poll and people were truly honest, 
I think the number of hands that would go up if you said, have you ever struggled with depression or had thoughts of suicide? Yeah. The number of hands that would go up is terrifying, yeah. you know, and it, like you said, it's just so normal now. And it's like, but, but why do we allow it to be normal? Yeah. You know, it, not, you know, I, I mean, I'm an attempt survivor myself, so I'm not like trying to, to badger anyone or anything, but it's like, I think the thing is for me, I, I'm glad we're at a point, like you're saying, where we can talk about it and we can be more open because yeah. growing up, like even I'm 37, we didn't talk about it. You put yeah. a lid on it, you man up and, and move on type of thing. And I, I appreciate that it's much more open now, but the fact that we haven't figured out a way to somewhat correct society because, you know, society's a fucking mess anyway but somewhat correct society where it's not a 80 percent thing or whatever percentage it actually is like yeah. it shouldn't be this big yeah man it, it's i'm very fascinated by our culture because remember what i was saying about like overcorrections and like that's kind of just how it works yeah with society it's uh it's definitely not cool to be depressed but it's it, it's very much like We've gotten to the point now. Of it's course, almost that, trendy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I really am cautious of saying that, of course, because I don't want any. I don't think anyone should ever be like, "Oh, are you trying to invalidate my depression?" I'm like, no, no, definitely not. But it's like you know, if I hope right. that by recognizing that you do have a mental injury, the idea is that you get the help you need through therapy or personal development or just whatever it you know, like or drugs or whatever it needs to be. In or medication, I'm sorry. Uh, in order to get through it, because it's like, no, you shouldn't just accept that's what I am, and that becomes your identity. I don't think that anyone deserves to have a life of being depressed for their entire lives. Right. So I did a real quick search so that I could see the actual number. Yeah. Uh, for as of 2020, according to NAMI. Um, in U.S. adults, one in five experience some form of mental injury or mental illness, um, which is an insanely high number. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do agree with you. I'm not trying to invalidate anyone. I think the, I think one of the biggest hindrances of the internet age is there's almost too much information available. Yeah. Uh, and you can convince yourself that you are having, oh, you know, I Googled my symptoms and I've got brain cancer. No, yeah. you have a headache. Like, calm down. <laughs> but I, I think the, the problem is, one of the problems, one of the contributing factors is so many, especially young adults and teenage, self-diagnose. Mm -hmm. And there's... There may be some truth to it, but you're not a medical professional. You're, you know, you've not been through the, the proper schooling. Is yours a chemical imbalance or is yours a trauma that caused, you know, like, and they're, they're approached differently, right? Like yeah. a chemical imbalance is probably going to be medication to help even that out, figure out what's right. Whereas a trauma based one. Okay. Well, that's therapy. That's counseling. Like. We're going to work through this and how to reconcile it. And I think the problem 
that I see with the self-diagnosis is people go, oh, I have depression, and then they do nothing about it. Yeah. You have to take the steps to do something about that because it's not cool to be depressed no matter what Hollywood or anyone else tells you. Yeah, and it's like... I'm really glad that we've gotten to the point where people can now recognize what depression or anxiety or any of these mental injuries are because it's like, cool, that's the first step is awareness. Now the next step is doing what you need to get the help you need. I, I, I mean, I know for me, I've been doing therapy for like a, a year now and I, I am truly so much more prepared for my career and life and just I'm learning how to be happy because like I it, honestly being depressed to become my identity as well like during like the pandemic and like I mean I went through a whole nihilistic thing of like God is dead and like you know that it, it was not cute it was not cute at all but like it, it, that's very much like it became like who I was and you know my music was defined by that and now I'm writing happy songs as Minerva now and I've never done that and thought I was going to do that like on off this next record Invincible I got this one song called a uh, love song and it's probably the most me song I've ever written in my life. It's a, it's a love song about not knowing how to write a love song, but it's a love song. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's uh, I'm very proud of that one. Uh, it, I I can't listen to it without crying at this point because uh, I am not with the girl anymore that I wrote it about. But you know, it's uh, I, I hope people enjoy my pain. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, obviously, to some degree, that's part of being an artist, right? Like. Oh, yeah. It, you know, one of the things that that's actually a really good segue into one of the other topics I told you we wanted to talk about, and that's using art and creativity as a coping mechanism. You know, it, it doesn't replace therapy. Um, and don't let anybody tell you it does because they're wrong. Um, but it's a great outlet for getting things out of your head. You know, like one of the darkest places you can be is in your head just listening to that voice tell you over and over how much you suck but if you start writing that stuff down and getting it out on paper or whatever you have the power because now as dumb as it sounds it's an actual therapy exercise that i've done in the past where you just fill out that page just every negative thought that you're having five minute span get them all out there and then you wad up that paper and throw it away because you're done with those thoughts, you know, and yeah. it's incredibly empowering because you don't realize how much strength you have over the voice in your head. And once you tell it to shut up, you can control that. Uh, you know, a buddy of mine uh, that I write with a lot, he uh, wrote the majority of Talk Too Much in my, all my earlier singles. His name's Corey Shore. Um, he always says, you know, if I want to know how I'm feeling, I'll just start writing a song. But he's, he doesn't like it's not like he does it with the intention of like finishing a song. He's like, yeah, I'll just start singing some melodies and just seeing whatever lyrics come to mind. And he's always like, I'm amazed at how dark some of these lyrics get. And, like, and he's a really happy person, but he's like, oh, so that's what's on my mind right now. This relationship thing or this thing about my parents or and I'm, I'm always just like, yeah, if you just trust the process and trust your emotions and just to feel them, like that's my biggest hurdle with emotions is like I've cut myself off so much <laughs> so we're like like a lot of men are like I don't feel anymore like my therapist is always like so when that happens like where do you feel that in your body I'm like I'm supposed to feel something in my body I just it's all here <laughs> I've just logisticized it yeah. it's logical that's why it makes sense yep. but like that's yeah, uh, and that, that's actually I was gonna say that's actually the same way I am like I'm such right. a logical person that I just go like oh it's it's all in my brain 
Yeah. I should feel it somewhere else. And occasionally, like, the cliche, like, occasionally we'll have some heartache. Yeah. But 98% of it, it's just cool. It's It, it lives in my brain. Where am I supposed to feel it? Is my yeah. ankle supposed to hurt? Like, what's... I don't understand that that question. <laughs> well, I'm really happy because, like, through doing this for a year, like, oh, I'm a lot more emotionally open than I used to be when it comes to that. And I, I love and hate it. I can't lie. Like, like earlier in this interview when I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm tearing up. Give me a minute. I'm like, that would never have happened a year ago. Right. And I'm like, that's really cool. Yeah. Like, it's progress. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I've been pretty similar, especially, especially since losing my brother. But um, – at my boss's funeral this Sunday and and um, yesterday, so Sunday was the visitation. Right, we're we're doing the viewing and whatnot, and we have people that work in different states and all that. So they're over, and me and my buddy Chad, who, if the company were to take over, cry. They, you know, like we're the dudes, right? Yeah. And we go up first out of our, our group and we did really good. We made it through the whole line of the family without like breaking down. And we got halfway away from the body, like out the doors. Both were like, Oh fuck. There it is. Like <laughs> it hit us like a ton of bricks. And like, we are bawling in the fucking lobby. And one of the guys comes over and was like, wow, I, you know, he's crying too, but he's like, I didn't expect that out of you guys. And I'm like, how fucked up is that? You know, like, because we're dudes, we're we're men. Like, ah, they're not gonna cry. Like, they've got it under control. And the fact of the matter is, fuck society. Uh, men are allowed to hurt too. <laughs> yeah, and they shouldn't be mocked for it. I mean, I I think, uh, like, obviously he's in hot water now. But like the Will Smith meme, like back in the day of like when yeah. Gay just talked about cheating on him and stuff. Uh, yeah, like, I did mean, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. How, how sad is that? That that became like this mean that we all laugh at now i mean that man was in legitimate fucking pain it's like you know that and that's why that whole oscar thing breaks my heart because i'm like oh man that's a dude who's very insecure in his relationship yeah well i saw not to get too deep in that but i saw somebody uh post about it and and they took the mental health side of it and they were like you know you guys all see somebody that just flew off the handle and went up and and smacked somebody else what i see is someone that's been paraded around their whole life has been public they found out that there was an affair in their relationship and then was forced to do it on a show and have this confrontation with his wife you know like and broke it down and they're like that was a man that is broken not knowing how to handle his reaction yeah and again definitely not the right way to handle it no. but <laughs> i see where it came from right right and i you know, he's hopefully it was genuine. He's now since apologized to both the Academy and to Chris. Um, but at the same time, you know, like not condoning Chris Rock and his jokes or anything, but like he's always been a shock comic. Like you kind of expect something to be said. So like it's that double-edged sword and, you know, kind of where societies come with everybody's offended by everything now. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if if Chris would have made that joke back in the late '80s, early '90s, nobody would have batted an eye about it. It was normal, and I don't. Again, not condoning it, not saying it's right necessarily, 
just saying he's from a different man that makes me sound old he's from a different generation uh <laughs> and that was acceptable when he was you know in his prime and I, well, we're from different generations man right that, that's yeah, yeah. fair that's fair um but no i i agree i think you know like with the will smith thing like when the whatever she called her show the red table or whatever with jada came out and then people are using him crying as a meme and it's like but if if rules were reversed and jada was the one crying because will did this to her would that have been a meme or would everybody have ran to her defense you know no it would have been a d d destruction on his part my god i mean he's the most likable man in the world but even he wouldn't have been able to get past that one yeah yeah and i i think you know tying that into us lowly <laughs> regular people uh <laughs> you know like and hey, we're working on it right we're trying um but no you know we're okay we're dudes I got news for you. We're all fucking human. And it is human to have emotion. And it should be, it, it's sad on both, on both sides. We're like either male or female. Like if you're, if you do show too much emotion, I mean, it becomes like a, oh, ignore them. They're just emotional. And it's like, that's right. Like, yes, you, you need to be in charge of your own shit and be in charge of like, you know, Hey, like, I'm not thinking rationally. Like uh, when I went on this tour, for example, I um, uh, I, I fired my drummer the day before the tour, which was incredibly ballsy on my end. But, yeah. but um, <laughs> I, I, no, I literally like called a bunch of, I, I called a couple of friends just to be like, hey man, this guy did this. I'm really not happy about it. Like, am I being emotional or do I have grounds to fire this man and just do this whole tour solo? I mean, every single person was like, no, dude, like, I'm glad you called because, like, that's a good, the right call. But, like, no, 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 you're, you're good. That was, that's pretty shitty what he was doing. And I'm like, okay, cool. Glad. I, I just wanted to check myself because I don't want to ever be that guy. But, like, yeah, I guess I'm doing this whole tour, tour solo. Time to drive 3,100 miles in 10 days by myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think that goes to show, too, like, Maybe it's inflating your your ego a little bit. Uh, <laughs> not that I think you have an ego at all, but um, I think that goes yeah. to show like your emotional awareness now, you know, coming through therapy and, and stuff like that, that you can look at yourself and go, okay, time out. Am I upset at the situation? Am I making a, a rational choice or am I being driven by emotion? And I think that's what a lot of people could do with more help on it, is figuring out awareness intelligence to know like okay you know like i i talk a lot about the power of words right like yeah when when you get on social media i i got a flat tire i'm so depressed like you're not depressed you're upset about a moment like there's a big difference let's control this this narrative to some degree um but, you know, I've been in that same boat where, like, when my brother passed, the very first thing I did, and I knew it was stupid the second I did it, was I went out in the garage and I punched a fucking hole in the wall because yep. I was that upset. Mm -hmm. And it's like, the second my hand went through the drywall, I'm like, well, that was stupid. That's not, that doesn't fix anything. Now I've got that to deal with, you know, like, I didn't do myself any justice and... I wish that I had the emotional awareness then to be like, okay. I mean, obviously I have a right to be upset, Yeah. but how do I 
how do I efficiently manage this emotion? Yeah. And like, especially the older I get, like I used to be the epitome of you're being emotional, calm down and think. But now, now I'm definitely much more of a type of person where I'm like, no, like you're feeling something for a reason. You can logisticize why you're feeling something. And, and I think that you should do a certain degree, but like that's also a defense mechanism. Sometimes you just have to feel. And yeah. it's your responsibility for how you act on your feelings. But like you're not, I don't think you're responsible for the way you feel. Like I'm, I mean, I, I've never had jealousy problems, for example, ever in my life. And um, I experienced that for the first time in my last relationship. And I really had to think about like, why? what is different this time? And I realized it's because I wasn't having my needs met in the relationship and I was seeing it. I've seen what I wanted in other people. And I was like, okay, cool. I, that makes sense to me. I mean, I'm, right. I'm not going to act on this because if I do, then I'm an asshole, but like, okay, I need like, I'm learning something about myself as because I'm feeling these things. And that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. That goes into the, the emotional intelligence side of it. I think where, like you said, it, you're not, I guess to some degree you're responsible for how you feel about something, but like you're, you're not responsible for having an emotional reaction. Yes. You're responsible for what that reaction was. Yes. So, you know, like, like me, I got the news about my brother. I was pissed off. I'm allowed to be pissed off. I'm not allowed. I mean, it's my house, so I was allowed, but like, I'm not allowed to go punch a hole in a wall. Like there, there needs to be a line of what is an acceptable way to deal with this. It's just no consequences if you do. Right. And, and that's the other side of it is I think, you know, so often people are like, Oh, well, you know, I only did that because, and then they try to justify it with their emotion. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But the, because you were upset, you hurt me. And I'm not supposed to be upset with you because you hurt me. Like, yeah. this is a two-way street. Yeah, could not agree more. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, going going back all the way to where we started with this too. Oh my God, Josh would say and do things with me sometimes where I'd be like, I want to kill you. But then I'd be like, oh wait, like, I can understand where you're coming from, and because of that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you that grace because I love you and you're my friend, and I hope that whenever. I have an emotional reaction to something like that will, my friends will also give me that same grace and my responsibility is right. to try and make sure I don't do that in the first place. But again, we're human. Sometimes you got to slap Chris Rock in the face. Right. Right. Um, so I think to kind of wrap up here, Matt, one <laughs> of the questions that I like asking, especially on this show is it's super fucking cliche. You needed when you were younger. Um, so you, Josh, what does that mean? That like, oh, you're fine. So there's there's the cliche saying of you know be the person that you needed when you were younger. What does mm -hmm. that mean for you? Like looking back at everything, who is the person you needed when you were younger? And do you think you've at least started becoming that person? Yes, I definitely have. Um, the person I needed when I was younger is I needed someone to make me feel like I was heard that wasn't my parents. Like um, I, a lot of my, like my depression very much came from trauma, not from chemical imbalance. And like, that's been very interesting tracing the traumas too. Cause I mean, they're from like mm -hmm. young age and uh, it, it very much, Oh God, 
literally, I, I sound like, I always feel like, why am I talking about this? Like in therapy and they're like, no, it's valid. This is real. This is how it works. I'm like, this shouldn't matter. Yes, but it does. And that's okay. Yeah. But um, for me, like I always felt very, like I'm really loud. I've always been really loud. Um, and that started because I felt like no one was listening to, listening to me ever. So I was like, if I'm loud enough, they can't ignore me. I think my choice and career path probably has something to do with that, but um, uh, yes, plays a little factor. Yeah, yeah. For me, like I really pride myself on being a good listener and being someone who, like you know, is tries to put other people first in conversations. And like, uh, I, I definitely the reason that happens is because of where I came from, and I always want to say that like I wanted. I love mentoring people because I didn't have those growing up. And that really was very frustrating for me. Also, are you still there, my dude? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you, that sounds a lot like mine too, like the mentor side of it. Like yeah. I very much try to be that support person for anyone in my life because I don't want to say I didn't have support when I was growing up, but I don't think I had the support that I wanted or that I felt like I needed. Yes. Um, you know, obviously, like, it's easy to look back and say, well, my parents supported my decisions and things like that. But at the time, I don't, it wasn't outright support, you know. Um, and I, I can remember, you know, getting upset with my dad because, like, I didn't want to play football anymore. But he yeah. was a football player in high school. So, like, it, you know, it's the same small town that he grew up in and all that. And it's like, but it's just not who I am. Like, why can't you be okay and support me going and doing this thing? And, you know, looking back, he did in his own way. But like, so now for me, I try to be that mentor and that support person where I'm like, I, I literally told one of the girls I work with, I can tell at this moment, this is not your forever career. You tell me what you need and I will help you get to where you want to go. You know, if you need extra days off or you need just life lessons because she's considerably younger than me. Like, yeah, I, I've been through some shit, you know, I've, I've tried the whole retail thing for 15 fucking years. I can tell you like the ins and outs of what to do and what not to do. And I, I never had that growing up where someone was willing to just sit down and listen to me and go, cool, here's the plan and this is how I'm going to help you with it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's the big part that I hope more people start to look at as kind of a therapy uh, tool as well or like an exercise is think about the person that you didn't have in your life when you were younger that you desire that desired makes it sound sexual and I don't mean it sexual, but like that person that you wanted to be in your life to give you that support or that love or whatever it was. And then seriously look at your life and are you making those choices for those around you um, or those that look up to you? And I think you can probably attest to this too. When I say the people that look up to you, I think most people would be surprised at how many people in their circle actually look up to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. And I'm like, 
like like I, I my brain immediately wants to draw a blank on that because my identity is I'm the outcast and I'm not I'm really not anymore. Right. You know what I mean? And like that's yeah, it's amazing what the brain can do to play tricks on you in that way. Like um, I'm I'm single again right now, for example, and like in my head I'm like, oh yeah, well you're gonna die alone. Like the last relationship is just you, it, it was just like you know a fluke, and I'm like, no, that's stop thinking that's who you are. Like that's not like in that's the danger going back to what we were saying earlier of depression being your identity. That means you're not going to get out of it. Cause it's right. It, it, who are you without it in that case then? Yeah. And that is that scary yeah, shit. And I, I don't like that. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good exercise for, for people too is, and I, I, I love saying put stuff down on paper because then it's tangible. Yeah. It's physical typing it out on the computer is okay but like physically writing it matters but like write out what is your identity what do people think of you for and like i did it a while back on facebook which is a ballsy move but i put it out there as a facebook post like what you know if i ever worked with you was one of your managers whatever like what's something i taught you or that i brought to our relationship and i was amazed at how many people came back with like i always appreciated how you were willing to talk to me or i always appreciated that you were never above giving a helping hand for something and it's like you know i just did that stuff i didn't think that people looked at me as oh that's a leader because this 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 and it's it's amazing when you do see that and i think more people need to you know write that stuff out because like you said if if you are, if your identity is, oh, that's the depressed friend in our group, or I'm the depressed friend in our group, like there's so much more. Yeah. And like, that's definitely, Hey, if that's a part of who you are, don't shy away from it. Like, you know, Hey, that, that is part of your story. Well, it doesn't have to be the entire tale. Like, you know, that's just a chapter. Yep. Yep. And I, Man, I'm glad you said chapter. I don't know if we talked or used that term the last time we talked or not. Something I've been trying to to do, um, I talked with one of the guys from To Write Love on Our Arms, and we started calling these events in your life just chapters in your story. Yeah. Because if you let depression be your whole story, well, it's, it's going to end sad, right? There's, there's no happy ending to depression. But if depression is a chapter in your story well, great. What happened after that? You know, there's so much room to grow out of that chapter. You know, I have this running note on my phone. I've had it since uh, 2013, I want to say. So this is like a long running thing. You know what I mean? But (laughs) it's um, the periods of my life in songs. So every time I write a song, I add it to this list. And I've been doing it ever since I started writing songs. And like, I guess that would have been like 2011 or something like that. But like 2013 is when I started it. And um, I always section it off in periods. And those periods can be anything like the school I was at, the teacher I had at that time. Like uh, I'm currently in the breakup phase because my God, I'm writing so many fucking right. But like uh, the, <laughs> like uh, they're by roommates, they're by places I've lived. And like, you know, it's, I think it's really important to see that like, you, you've been on a journey. I mean, like, 
especially being a songwriter, you're a storyteller. And it's like, everybody's got a story. I don't care how bland you think your life is. Like, no, no, no. You, you didn't sit around and just do nothing. Like, and even if you, like, say you did, and all you do is watch Netflix. I'm like, cool. You can probably tell me everything about like this one universe that you've like escaped to. And that's not doing nothing. Right. Right. As, as much as it's quote unquote nerd culture, which is coming back. Nothing. I think the last time we talked, uh, what what movie were you getting ready to go see? Do you remember? Oh God! Uh, was this around the Eternals when it was coming out? I think it. I think it might have been Eternals. Yeah, it was like it was that, or it was knowing, knowing me. If it's a movie, it was, it was probably some Marvel movie. It, it was definitely a Marvel movie. I can't remember if it was Eternals or was it maybe Endgame. No, it definitely wasn't Endgame because that that would have been like 2019. Like that was that was a minute ago. But um, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Then it was it was likely Eternals. Probably was. Uh, but either way, like either way, the point to that, like nerd culture is coming back. So like, if you're a Harry Potter fan, if you're a Lord of the Rings, yeah, whatever, like be that fan. Yeah. And I think we've talked about community before and a little bit in this, like. If your friends and family, quote unquote, don't accept you with that fandom or whatever, go look for the acceptance in that fandom. Find people that love yeah. the things that you love, and it's a hell of a lot easier to be happy. And it's the beauty of the internet. It's all right there. Yeah. Absolutely. All you have to do is start engaging. So, Matt, so let's – right, <laughs> in a positive way because let's yeah. be honest. Twitter is a fucking cesspool, so stay out of there, but – <laughs> the only social media I don't use, um, I never use it. Yeah, I, I've got one still, but I couldn't tell you the last time I posted really on it. So, um, for the kind of the wrap up, let's do this. Um, obviously, we're going to get to your socials in a second, but for for people that are to hear, dependent on when, I've got the little battle and I'm trying to figure out before I. Uh, go live with this episode in case there's a name change that has to happen. Um, <laughs> but for people that are listening to the song, Josh, we'll, we'll say it's out as we, we play this. What is the key lyric in that song that you want people to gravitate to? Hmm. You know, I'm going to think about that really fast just to, Make sure I really know what I'm saying on this one. That's yeah. a good question. I love that. Um, I got a couple. Um, I wasn't surprised when I heard the news, but you never think this sort of thing will happen to you. Because, mm -hmm. like, sometimes it comes out of nowhere with, with suicide but like a lot of the times like no i can i can trace this like that logically makes sense but i just never thought that could have happened and like it's so hard to not fall into the like maybe i could have done something differently and like you can't fall in that trap yeah you you, you will just drive yourself crazy i've watched people do it and it's breaks my heart every single time i mean it is the worst and that one and then Honestly, I'd just say the first four lines of the chorus. This one goes out to Josh, all the people that we lost. 
got to keep them in our thoughts so they're going to get forgot. Like the minute we stop remembering and talking about those people who like had an impact on our life, then they're gone. I mean, uh, the musical Hamilton does like just destroys me emotionally, not because of the normal beats that destroy people emotionally. It's because like, it's all about legacy and like, you know, what is legacy? It's sowing seeds in the ground in the ground that we don't get to see happen. I don't remember the exact lyric. I was like, Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But yeah. like, that's Josh left a legacy in my life and so many other people's lives. And like, I hope he knows that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a, a kind of a metaphor that I'm coming up with right now, or like a, a simile, I guess mm-hmm. that, you know, a person's legacy is like planting a tree. And as long as you take care of that tree and nurture that tree, their legacy, you know, you're telling their story, remember them, the trees can grow and flourish and be great. But the second you forget about that way and you aren't taking care of it, it's going to, to rot. It's going to die. It's not going, you know, somebody's going to mow over it or whatever, you know, it's going to go away because you're not taking care of it. And I think, you know, with, with my most recent passing with my, my grandmother as well, but my boss too, where we, he and I had talked a lot about legacy while he was alive. And, you know, he's built this company that I work for from the ground up and he was such a humble dude. And I had made a comment a while back about like, but think about the legacy that you have. Like you've built this company from the ground up. You've got, a team of people like I'm one of the least senior people at a year. Yeah. And that's only because the person that was in my position moved to another state and, you know, like was leaving the company because of that. Yeah. Like his sales team, the, the shortest tenured person is like nine years that they've been with him. Like you've grown this culture. Yeah. You've grown this culture where like people know you and, like they want to be around you. And I think that's the key is like live your life where people look at you and go, that's someone I want to be around, you know, like, and we said, it's okay to be depressed. I definitely still have my days where I'm like, I know I'm not fucking fun to be around, but I also vocalize a lot better than I used to and say, Hey, I'm having an off day. Like I apologize if I seem closed off more than willing to talk about it now. And I think that's a key to it is opening that door for people because when you start letting people in, it's easier to let the shit out. Uh, But then, you know, to the legacy side of that is when people know your authentic story, it's easier for them to say, that's someone I'm proud to have known. And you've obviously been very proud to know Josh. Yeah, again, that... Uh, we fought so much, and the thing is, we fought so much, but we'd recover. That's why I never wonder what it's like to have a brother, and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> for better yeah. and for worse, I, I fucking love that kid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's do the kind of standard outro, Matt. Uh, where can people find you? What can they expect? Uh, you don't have to give details on Invincible yet if you're not allowed to, but we've got Josh coming up on April eighth, and then. Lots of new shit on the horizon. So tell what so you can much, tell. <laughs> so much new shit. So um, yeah, I am 
Currently, uh, my, my new record is done, which is super exciting. I have no release date for it, but the project will be called Invincible. And uh, yes, stay tuned for that. But Josh is coming out April 8th. Uh, I just dropped a bunch of new music videos for my last record, Talk Too Much. Uh, my favorite one, uh, The Interview, which just came out uh, last week, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, check it out on YouTube if you go uh, check out Minerva, but there's no I, so M-N-E-R-V-A. And then you can find me on socials at Minerva Official on either Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, all the good stuff. And yeah, if you go for my TikTok, that's where you'll see sneak peeks of the next record. So help me blow up on there. And yeah, for Instagram, you'll see show announcements and all the good curated content. <laughs> awesome, man. I love talking to you. I'm, I'm so glad you were willing to do this and, and be open and honest about, you know, the, the mental health side of things and. Um, I don't know if you did it consciously or I, I know it was somewhat consciously. I noticed you immediately adopted mental injury versus mental illness. And I really appreciate that because I think as we change the perception of what depression is, what anxiety is, what bipolar disorder, whatever, what all these, these diseases are and start looking at them as an injury more people are like i said you know i liken it to breaking breaking we're going to offer to carry your groceries or your bag or whatever because that can see that you're injured you have diabetes most people are going to be like okay did you take your your medicine like that's an illness i i can't do anything for an illness because i'm not a doctor but i can help you if you're injured and I think that's what we need to start looking at it as is I have an injury. That injury is depression. And this, and the help that, that most of us need, again, you can attest to this as we wrap up here, but the help that most of us need is just someone to fucking listen sometimes or to get us out of our house of our head and say, let's go see Eternals or let's go see, you know, whatever. And just get us out and make us go do something because, again, the one of the scariest places someone can be when they're they're battling depression is stuck in their own head. Yeah. No, I couldn't have said that better myself. Again, like what we need is hope, and like you know that's that's the best healing when it comes to uh, mental mental injury. And like you know, it's it, again, I think terms matter a lot. And like I uh, when I went to go live with my very, very conservative friend's parents, uh, over, <laughs> over the summer one year, uh, they were so big on words matter and here's why. And I remember I used to have massive debates with them every morning, which was like the best part of my day. But, um, right. <laughs> I really, I really took, took that away. Cause I'm like, you're right. Like language, it's meant to be precise and it's meant to like, you know, yeah, you have a thesaurus for things, but the whole point is it's related words, not identical words. And like that's, I think the sooner that we change the narrative around most things that have to do with depression and anxiety, that's how we're going to, that's how people are going to go from just being aware of it to changing it. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. You know, when all this goes live, um, and we'll definitely be, on the lookout for all new music and, you know, try to blast that as much as we can as well. Seriously. Thanks so much, Josh. You are always fantastic with these. And I I love being able to say I've been on both shows now. Yeah, there you go. You're one of 
how many? One of maybe three so far. So Ooh, let's go. It's a pretty elite club that you're in. That's, hey, that's been on okay. two shows. <laughs> I got the bronze. I'll I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I may be wrong about that. I'll go, I'll check the numbers. If it's worse, I won't tell you. If it's better, I'll let you know. <laughs> Let's go. Hi, right, Josh, right? You have a great rest of your night, man. Thank you so much for being with you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, man. All right, cool. See you around, dude. And that was my conversation with Minerva, Matt Wagner. Um, you know, I have said it already in the the opening of this podcast but thank you so much to him for being open and honest and if you guys could go show him some love on social media um instagram tiktok whatever i will have all those linked in the description of this podcast uh but i do know that you know for all of my guests on this particular show it would mean a lot to know that a people are listening and that b maybe it resonated with people and you know, none of them necessarily uh, will say that they have to know your story, you know. Um, so don't feel like you have to put everything out there. But just a simple, hey, man, thank you for taking the time to have that conversation. Or it really means a lot that you're speaking about this. Those sorts of things go a very long way. So, you know, if you could um, drop a, a comment either on our post on Instagram about this episode or, you know, shoot him a direct message or leave a comment on something that he posts. Uh, but no, I, I do thank him so much for doing this. Uh, we're definitely keeping in touch with him, uh, even on the You Make the Scene podcast, because he does have a, a lot of new work coming out. Uh, I want you guys to go check out the song Josh, if you haven't already. Um and, you know, again, the, the big thing that I want you guys to remember when we do these conversations is that while everyone's story is unique to them and it will vary from person to person, nobody is alone, nobody is exclusive in what they feel. Um, so, you know, be sure that you're reaching out to your friends, you know, hopefully this this episode, especially, you know, talking about the loss of, of a friend, maybe you look at your friend circle and think about the people that are close to you that have lost a friend or that, you know, maybe the friend circle lost a friend and you guys haven't really kept in touch or whatever. Reach out and just give that little, hey, just wanted to see how you were doing. Um, that sort of stuff goes so far and it really does mean a lot. That's everything I've got for you guys on this particular episode. Um, again, huge shout out to Matt Minerva for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, we've got some really cool stuff lined up for you guys uh, in just two weeks time on May the 16th will be episode number two of season two of Musicians for Mental Health. And in that episode, we will be speaking with Becky Fontaine, who does vocals for Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses. Um, that is definitely an episode that I don't want you guys to miss. So be sure that you like, subscribe, follow, share, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, just 
stay on top of of what we're doing um, because there are so many stories that are going to be coming to you guys that are going to resonate. Um, and if not with you, maybe they resonate with someone that you know. Uh, that's why I ask for the shares and things like that. You never know who it may impact. So um, thank you guys so much. I, again, I personally really appreciate taking the time to do these conversations. So um, remember, just take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene.